huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Making money is like having an orgasm. If you focus on it, you're never going to get it. You have to enjoy the process. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and wow, thank you. This is the 100th episode of The Money Podcast. So this special 100th anniversary episode is a compilation of the money experts and the billionaires, their best bits that we've interviewed over the last 100 episodes. So you're going to learn the traits of the greats, the titans of wealth, and many of the best billionaires that are alive today. So we have firstly Naveen Jain. He's a billionaire who's the only man on this planet to have a mining license on the moon. Life never stops teaching. It's just sometimes we stop learning. We also have Sir Tom Hunter, who invited me to his home, who's the first Scottish billionaire. There are a couple of things in entrepreneurs that I always see in their eyes, which is hard to put in if the desire and the attitude, these are hard things to teach. We also have David McCourt, who we've interviewed twice for the podcast, and I've got to know very well. He sold one of his companies for 14 billion US dollars. He told me over burger and lobster. A lot of stuff I know now that I didn't know before, but my attitude towards money and wealth, I don't think has changed at all. We also have someone who's not a billionaire, but he's Martin Fridson, who wrote the book, How to Be a Billionaire, studying many of the biggest billionaires through history. And that book really impacted me. But you have to be pretty um, focused, mm. <laughs> extremely focused, to achieve anything like a billion dollars of net worth. And finally, Grant Cardone, Mr. 10X. He's become a good friend of mine. And whilst he may not be a billionaire yet, he has created a billion dollar property fund. Cash flow is the holy grail of finance. It doesn't matter whether you're Netflix or whether you're Google or, or Apple or the next thing or a TV channel or, or, or you're an apartment building. You have to have cash flow in order to grow your business. So let's jump straight into the 100th anniversary episode of The Money Podcast. We have to change the definition of success. What is the success mean? If you define success as amount of money you have in the bank, then you actually will never be successful because you're always chasing something. So to us, uh, what I tell our children is that your success will never be measured by amount of money in your bank. What it will be measured by will be number of lives you've been able to improve on. And that's the definition of success. And the only way you know you have really become successful 
is humility. The day you become humble is the day you become successful. If you still have iota of arrogance left in you, that means you're still trying to prove something to yourself or someone else, and then you're not successful. So if you look at our president, he's constantly telling everyone, do you know how rich I am? Well, that tells you that he's still, he's still looking for success. Making money is like having an orgasm. If you focus on it, you're never going to get it. You have to enjoy the process. <laughs> okay, well, that is, that's the best answer of money I've ever had. I think today, like when I look at what's going on, it's, you know, just work ethic, showing up no matter what. I've mm. showed up for so many bad deals mm. um, that, that really didn't pay, pay off, mm. that I didn't think were paying off at the time. Um, so, but it creates that discipline of showing up over and over, and then every once in a while something good happens out of it. Mm. Uh, but certainly what happens out of it every time is that I know I did my part. Mm. So that's been important. Uh, discipline with money has been extremely, extremely important. No, not, no, not many people talk about discipline with no. money. They talk about spending it. Yeah, they show yeah. it off. They, 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 you know. but, but very few people, like I don't think I've ever seen anybody talk about the discipline of money. So and, talk about it. What, what well, well, that's one thing that I've done extremely well. If I look back over my career, one of the things that I've done, even since I was, when I was broke at 25, I, when I started building things, I was extremely disciplined. I don't think, it was 20 years before, I, before anyone had known that something financially had changed for me. Mm. And it had changed long, long before that, right? But nobody saw me starting to sport watches and, and, <laughs> and, and wear fancy shoes. And, you know, or half shoes. Yeah, or yeah. half shoes, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just extreme discipline. Like, I didn't drink between the age of 25 and 51, 26 years. I'm like, I'm not going to drink. It wasn't a, it wasn't a drinking issue. It was a money issue. It was a time issue. It was an energetic issue. So it's tremendous amounts of discipline over long periods of time. I've always been money mo motivated. I've been extremely, like, uh, I wanted to get my money right. Mm. I wanted to have financial freedom. And uh, I, I saw my dad didn't get that. You know, my dad did really well for the family and he, and he, in, in all respects. He... Uh, Everybody around him would have been like, oh, he really achieved a lot, but it wasn't financial freedom. Yeah. The, the freedom that when you, when you die, your family can still exist without changing their, their patterns or behaviors. The biggest thing that I've learned in my, probably in my business career, is that I'm always relearning, by the way, because it's the hardest thing to learn, uh, is just to say no more often. That's the hardest thing to learn. For me, personally. Yeah. The single hardest thing to learn is to say no. Well, I'm glad you said no to all the other podcasts, but not this one. Yeah, but you've done very, very well in your podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm impressed because most podcasts, no one listens to them. Mm. You know, people have them because they want to have them, but not many people listen to them and they're not very well done. Yeah. Yours is well done and you have, you have good, interesting people and you have good um, listenership and viewership. What does a billionaire know that a millionaire doesn't yet know? Most of us don't realize it is actually possible to achieve such a thing. It, it seems so extraordinary, so far beyond the imagination uh, that, uh, you know, really understanding that it is possible uh, to achieve that, I think, is the most significant difference. Mm. Uh, most people don't set out to do that, and I don't think everyone should. Uh, it's not the most balanced life, you might say, there, uh, although uh, some of the billionaires have uh, achieved in other fields and uh, have... Uh, 
certainly enjoyed uh, leisure activities. Sam Walton's family said that when they went on a family vacation, he would spend most of his time at other stores. This was the founder of the Walmart. And he would go into other stores and uh, copy what they were doing. He was very proud of that he had not uh, originated any idea. Mm -hmm. He just copied from others and uh, did this obsessively and uh, genuinely enjoyed it. I don't think there's any question that the uh, billionaires liked what they were doing, something that might seem onerous or a chore to many of us. And many of us would say, well, uh, I'm making a good living. I'm happy when the workday is over. I can go home and spend the time with my family and or enjoy other pursuits. Uh, and again, it's not that they were uh, completely one dimensional, but no question that what came first was the focus on business, building an enterprise, uh, figuring out how to capitalize on that, uh, expand their wealth more, even after they got to a point where they were uh, quite comfortable. Every business plan that comes to me is a graph left to right, upward only, and three years we're all going to be millionaires. Yeah, not this. <laughs> and not one of these business plans ever works like that. Mm. You know, an entrepreneur's journey is up, down, backwards, downwards, yeah. up. Yeah. You know, and, and this is something that on a spreadsheet, it all works. Mm. It's beautiful. This line just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen that way. No. And that quote was, I'm a billionaire, but I'm not a big spender. No, the, the second part of it was my was mine, right. where I said, I'm not a big spender. Yeah. The first part was um, added by the newspaper. Right. And um, so the I nearly said, I'm not a big spender. Right. Nearly. Yeah, that's all I said. I'm yeah. not a big spender. I didn't say, I'm a billionaire. Yeah. And um, that would be a dick thing to say. Would it? Yeah. But even if you are one, it's a dick thing to say. In my opinion, it is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was in um, one of the big newspapers in the UK because I crashed my Ferrari into News International building and they came over and they interviewed me. Um, and uh, the headline was, um, I've written off my Ferrari, but it's okay because my other car is a Porsche, which made me look like a dick. I mean, you crashed your Ferrari. I don't even have a car. So <laughs> I have no car I'm going to sell on my cars now. I, have, <laughs> like, I don't even have a car. So it, it, I'm just not a big... I'm just not a big... I mean... I don't look like a popper, but I'm just, it's not a big part of my but my life. But with someone with you know so much money, why not? Because there's so many many other interesting things to do with your money, rather than buy stuff that you have to pack and move when you move. You have to worry about someone stealing it. You insure have to, it. You have to insure it. it. <laughs> you have to worry about you know who's going to smash the Ferrari into it. You yeah. have to worry about who's going to spill something on it, and you just it just just a bunch of stuff. Mm. Then you have to worry about who you're going to give it to. Mm -hmm. And then what you got to find something else of equal value to give someone else. So yeah. everybody thinks you love them the same. There's yeah. a lot of stuff to worry about. Yeah. People don't see those downsides when they covet them, do they? Well, people want stuff because they want you to believe that they're rich. And they assume that when you believe that they're rich, that you'll believe that they're smart and powerful and handsome, right? But that's not necessarily... I feel like I have to go and sell all my nice clothes and cars and everything now. <laughs>
moonshot is a word that uh, is really is about those audacious ideas, those audacious things that most people on the surface believe are difficult or impossible to do. And to me, those moonshots is what moves the humanity forward. So for me, there are two moonshots that I'm currently working on. One is really about saving humanity from potential extinction by creating a multiplanetary society. So, you know, think of us, 7.4 billion of us on one single spacecraft we lovingly call planet Earth. And it's our spacecraft is flying on the space. What if our spacecraft gets damaged because we get hit by a large asteroid? Then the it's not the planet that won't survive. Planet will be just fine. The whole human species may not survive. Remember, when we got hit by a large asteroid, the dinosaurs were substantially bigger species. Dinosaurs got wiped out. Planet was just fine. It created humans, right? And when humans get wiped out, it will probably create superhumans for all we know, right? But the point is, we never, so our job is to make sure, can we save the human species by distributing into multiple spacecraft, right? If you can hear the dinosaurs rolling in their graves, what would they be saying? If they had one good entrepreneurial dinosaur that could have taken them to moon or Mars, they would still be around roaming on the moon, Mars, and beyond. 10X has made my life better, yeah. not harder. Two mm. X is difficult. How do you two X? Like how, how do you actually double something? And then and then when do you pull it back? Mm. So the ten X concept is this: I'm here and I'm going to go up here, and it's going to be so impossible that it causes you to think different. Mm. It's not that you achieve this; it causes you to think different, strategize different, look at different assets, look at different. Uh, mechanisms, change your way of thinking. See, most people try to do this. They're trying to go from something from here to something logical. And the problem with that is only logic can be used in this evaluation. But when you start thinking about 10 times your income, let's say, let's say you're making 100,000 pounds a year and you're like, and 100,000 is hard. And you're like, man, I just hit the 100,000 level. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing 100,000. This is amazing. My parents th think I'm the shit and, <laughs> and I've cracked the code. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So what the, the individual does now is he's like, man, if I could just do that again next year. OK. And he's trying to maintain what mm. he did. There's no creating that. Mm. There's no new solutions. There's no new ideas in that. So you start thinking about 10x. It makes you it forces you to think different than what got you right here. If when you tell people what you are doing and they don't look at you and say, that's crazy. That means you're not thinking big enough. Think. Right? So you have to think so big that people think you're crazy unless you happen to be really a crazy person. In that case, all bets are off, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point really is, imagine you know, if you go tell someone, I'm going to build an iPhone app that's going to help you find a better roommate. People say, eh, yeah, you know what? Good luck. Have fun with it, right? When you tell someone, I'm going to make illness optional or I'm going to go to the moon and really mine for the resources and I'm going to set up the habitat on the moon. And by the way, we are the only company in the universe that has a permission to leave Earth orbit and land on the moon. Everybody stops and say, that is goddamn crazy. Who gives you the permission? How are you going to get there? What are you going to go there? I mean, are you really that crazy? I mean, can you really believe that's possible? And those is interesting thing is that is what moves not only the society forward, the humanity forward. When people believe that somehow everyone in the world wants to replicate Silicon Valley, 
right? People think, oh, we can replicate Silicon Valley. It's all about getting some good colleges there. So you got Oxford and Cambridge there. And you say, oh, we need to bring a bunch of venture capitalists there. And we set a bunch of incubators. And God, we're going to create the next Silicon Valley. And what they don't realize is Silicon Valley is not about venture capitalists. It's not about incubation. It's not about colleges. It's about the mindset of people who believe in possibilities. Kirk Kerkorian, who uh, made uh, fortunes in uh, the entertainment business uh, uh, and uh, a variety of ventures, uh, got to the point where he had sold a business and uh, was worth $100 million at a time when it would be, be equivalent to a billion nowadays. Um, said, well, what am I going to do now? Just sit around? I, I, so he wanted to make more, and he bet the whole thing. He came very close to going bust completely several more times during his career, but that was what drove him, uh, what kept him motivated. So certainly he got to the point where he had more money than he could possibly spend. Now, some of the billionaires then turned to philanthropy as a uh, way to make use of that wealth that they've created. Uh, that's quite a common uh, characteristic as well. We decided to try and do something with our money while we're still alive. Was that a decision that happened once you had, let's be honest, a barrel load of money from a sale? Or was it something you'd been thinking before that? Yeah, well, I mean, I was brought up in a very small village in Scotland called Newcomnock, which was a mining village. So um, my dad was a local grocer, um, but 85% of the people who, who, who worked there worked down the pit. Yeah. And, but in 1984, which seems a long time ago to somebody like you. <laughs> that um, was five, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the miners' strike came and the mines never reopened. So a small community like Newcomnock was ripped apart. Mm. And um, my dad lost his business. Looking back and trying to join the dots, I think it was Steve Jobs said, you know, you can't join the dots looking forward, mm. only looking back. Um, it it kind of got me to um, start my own business. Yeah. And um, <laughs> during that time, you know, my, my dad was and is my hero. So I saw him going through and think he was a failure and, I guess seeing a, a community where I was brought up and it was very important to me, the heart being ripped out of it, it kind of affected me. I didn't mm. know it at the time, but looking back, I, I guess that's one of the reasons that I want to, to do something with yeah. my money. Mm. So the money has nothing to do with my motivation. Um, so what keeps me motivated is I honestly feel like I'm just getting started. I honestly feel like my life's work Everything I learned up until this point was for what I'm going to do next. Mm. And I haven't yet done the big thing that I want to do. Yeah. That's how I feel. And that's not bullshit. That's sincerely how I feel. And, and if you would ask people that personally know me, yeah. they would tell you that that's a fact. Mm. And surely that's got to be exciting to but feel like you're just starting when you've makes, done so much. It makes life interesting. Yeah. Why would you want to live an ordinary life when you don't have to? Mm. Some people have to, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. But if you don't have to, why would you? I was uh, going to go to Web Summit to speak at that, uh, speak at Web Summit, and as you know, I have to go through UK. So I was stopped in the UK, and they asked me, where are you going? I'm going to Ireland, uh, Dublin. What are you going to be doing in Dublin? I'm speaking at an event. What are you going to be speaking about? I don't know yet. 
and they stop. What do you mean you don't know yet? I'm, I really don't know. I'm going to figure it out once I get there. What do you do while I'm mining the moon? And this guy <laughs> looks, at my, looks at me and says, sir, I'm going to give you one warning. And if you talk crazy like that going to the moon, I'll have to stop you right here. So now tell me, what do you do? I said, I'm a software engineer. He said, that's much more like it. Now go. <laughs> my point was to him, it was not even possible in his imagination that someone would be that stupid to be able to go to the moon and think they can mine the moon, right? Now, now that same idea, when you go to the Silicon Valley and you tell someone, you say, hey, what are you working on? I say, hey, I'm, look, uh, you know, I'm really working on a company that's going to be mining the moon. You know what they say? Oh, what kind of rocket are you going to be thinking? You know, what kind of material are you looking to do? Uh, are you thinking of using a hydrogen peroxide as a fuel or are you thinking of using something as a fuel? And you have you, what kind of technology are you thinking about? Temperature difference. Uh, where are you thinking of landing? Do you think you can be able to, what technology are you going to be using to convert the water into hydrogen and oxygen? And they really now, you know, they already believe, of course, you'll be going to the moon, right? I mean, that is the point what takes for people to be moving forward because they don't believe it's a crazy idea. They want to hear how you're solving it. Do you think then that a commonality of the wealthiest people on the planet is not just an ability to think big, bigger than the rest of people, but almost a delusion of how big their thinking is. Because everyone you've spoken to so far sounds like at their time when they were making these goals, they would have been ridiculed. Like they'd have been burned at the stake 200 or 300 years ago. <laughs> if you look, I interviewed uh, someone who's got the only license to um, mine on the moon. Uh, and so he, he's a billionaire and he's basically, want, he thinks he will be the first person to mine the moon. And that's kind of a bit crazy. <laughs> so is there this line of huge vision and craziness, delusion? Uh, it, it requires um, the uh, practical ability to say, yes, this is big. This is beyond, uh, almost beyond the scope of imagining. But uh, it, it, I really believe it is achievable. Here's how. I can get there, and uh, you have to have a real sense of organization to be able to get there and work through other people. It's not something you can do as a you know, one-person show. I think that all cultures are taught not talk about money. That's got to be wrong. Then you wonder why people don't have it. Yeah. So, like, in, if you look over history, the things that people don't talk about, they end up having problems mm. with, whether it's sex or... Um, Gender, pay gap, relationships, all of that. You name it. Yeah. Any, anything that you're not going to talk about. It's like you asked me before the interview, is there any place you don't want to go? And I mm. said, no, I don't have any secrets. Mm. Like, I, don't, I have nothing secretive in my life. Like, there's nothing I'm doing that I need to hide. There's nothing I'm ashamed of. So money is a, we live on a planet that is, it, it, this is an economic planet. Like, everywhere mm. you go. I, I, I go into Harrods, they want money there. Yeah. I noticed that the other day. Yeah. I'm like, man, this is very much like America, right? You go to New York, they want money there. You walk into the shops, you're not leaving with uh, anything, whether it's food or diamonds or clothes or shoes or the, even basic needs like housing. Housing here is unbelievable. Mm. Your rent here is 70% higher than the rents in San Francisco, mm. and San Francisco is the most expensive rent in the United States. Right. So there's a lot of commonalities, right? So, you know, in America, it's all right to talk about money if you don't have it. Yeah. If you do have it, it's like taboo. Right. You can't tell anybody that you really have money there. Can you be a nice person and become a billionaire? Let's put nice in two buckets. 
Can you be respectful? Can you be kind? Can you be caring? Can you give a shit about other people? Yes. However, some people think ruthless means, well, you know, I met with Rob and he, 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 you know, he only gave me five minutes of his time. Well, because someone was trying to steal your time, so we use, use this example now, they're trying to steal your time to talk about what they want to talk about, but they're bringing no value to the conversation and you have something else on your mind. And they would say, well, what a dick he is. No, so we're using you for this example. What, yeah. what, what a dick he was that he blew me off. But you were just trying to be efficient with your time because you had something else you had to accomplish. That doesn't make you an unkind, uncaring, unloving human being. So people sometimes define ruthless as, well, he didn't give me, he didn't give me as much time or she didn't give me as much time or she was curt with me or when I wasn't prepared, um, you know, he got angry with me. Um, now I would change that to say, well, maybe someone got angry with you because you weren't prepared because you were trying to steal my time. And the only equalizer that all of us in this room have that God gave us is time, 24 mm -hmm. hours. It's the only thing that we have that's equal. Yeah. Nothing else is equal except the 24 hours. And you don't have a right to take mine and I don't have a right to take yours. So I think that people like to, it's convenient for them to say, so-and-so didn't give me, give me time. But, but no, you don't have to be ruthless. Warren Buffett, who I, who I know, and I've, I've spent you know, a fair amount of time with him, is an incredibly um, funny, charming, kind, nice, honest man. Mm. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't, be well served to waste his time. Mm. You know, mm. he would be well served to waste waste his time. Bill Gates, incredibly generous, kind. I mean, he's the most philanthropic human being on the planet. Mm. So how could anybody call him ruthless? Mm. People, you know, you, you, you know, people. I, I knew uh, Paul Allen, his partner, very well. Before, you know, he died, but I knew Paul Allen very well, and Paul said that that. Bill was on, when he was young, when he was in his 30s, he was a maniac. And he'd come in the office on Sunday, and, and, and Paul said that you'd see him out through the window, and he'd be putting his hands on people's hoods to see if their engine was still, you know, at 9 in the morning on Sunday to see if their engines were still warm, to see if they had just got in, or whether they'd been there since 7, you know? Mm. And then, you know, if someone got something wrong, he'd be like, you know, you guys have been here all night, and you still haven't got that coded. I could do it in an hour. He'd leave the room and everybody'd say, yeah, he can do it in an hour. <laughs> you know, the rest of us mere, mere mortals can't. Yeah. So people would say, is, is that being ruthless? No, that's being driven. Yeah. And that's being um, possessed with trying to accomplish something doesn't make them ruthless. Did it matter to you to become a billionaire? It's only a number. Yeah. So did it matter? It, it, it would matter in that I want to give as much away as possible, you know, invest yeah. in good causes as much as possible. So that's why it would matter. But actually mm. to say, you know, I'm a, I'm Billy Big Bollocks, you know, <laughs> no. no. No, but but a billionaire must know some stuff that a millionaire doesn't. I mean, that could, you know, because take away the number and the word, it's experience, it's progress, it's contribution, it's yeah. employing a lot of people. In America, our brand is that anything is possible. 
And you're gonna lose that if a whole generation grow up and they can't afford a house, they can't afford healthcare, they can't afford education. Mm. That sucks. Yeah. And those problems, no one wants to attack those problems. They just wanna, the left wants to blame big business and the right wants to blame big government. Mm. And the truth is that it's, you can't blame either. Big business didn't create the problem. Big government didn't create the problem. They both contributed to it, and neither of them are are doing their fair share to solve the problem. Th these issues are aren't separate; they're intertwined because it isn't a political problem. It's a global problem, and the business opportunity is in solving those problems. Yes. So the business opportunity is solving the environmental problem. The business opportunity is solving the educational problem. We have to use technology to solve the educational problem. It's just too expensive. We have to use technology to solve the healthcare problem. It's, it's just too expensive. We have to use, in America, we're going to have to use technology to solve the guns problem. You don't have that to the ex that same problem that we have in, in America. But people have to create businesses and use technology to solve those problems. That is entrepreneurship, so, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. And people can make money doing that. Yeah. And they can buy stuff. Mm. That makes them happy. Buy lots of stuff. Well, if it motivates them to grow their business, to help more people, to create value, and that's their sure. reward. Sure. I have nothing against that. Yeah. Yeah. But they, and they can hire people, and they can employ people, and they yeah. can train people. Yeah. That's great for everybody. It's great for the economy. Yeah. It's great for your community. It's great for your neighborhood. It's great for everybody. What defines people is what is it that you stand for? What problems are you solving that are worth solving? So I think I would say is it's not even what they know is focus on the biggest problems because the bigger the problem, bigger the opportunity. So I would say the people who are able to impact more people's lives are the ones that actually become financially successful. So I would say the people who have become financially successful generally focus on bigger, big problems. And they focus on the customer. They focus on not, they're not passionate. They are just not passionate people. They have obsession, right? So passion is for losers. Obsession is for entrepreneurs. <laughs> I love it. If the things you're working on, if you don't get, you don't jump out of the bed at 4 a.m., you're working on something really not worthwhile. If you get, if you're lying down in the bed, waiting for and, and hitting the snooze alarm, you're working on the wrong things. Find out why is it that you're not jumping out of the bed? What is it that you're doing that doesn't excite you enough to jump out of that bed? If you're not willing to die for it, don't live for it. Taking it to a, a national and international scale is uh, really essential uh, to create the kind of fortunes. People do very well uh, with businesses. Uh, they may own a, um, a few franchise uh, restaurants in a particular area, do quite well. Uh, but to really get into the billionaire class, it requires uh, quite a bit of scale. Well, the Rousing family, they were, was it, um, they were into packaging. Was it Tetra Pak they owned? It was certainly a huge company. Yeah. I mean, think about how many milk bottles, milk cartons, and all those kind of things. They must have sold billions and billions of them. Um, so it, I think sometimes we perceive that a billionaire has to do something amazing or genius or groundbreaking, but sometimes it's a very simple problem scaled to a lot of people. 
but I think there's a lot of people that don't know what they make. We just did a survey for a, a financial course that I was delivering. Um, Jared, do you remember what the number was? What percentage didn't know their taxes, their tax, uh, their tax rate? Uh, it was over 70%. Didn't know what mm-hmm. their, in America, it's a federal tax and a state tax and a withholding tax. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know. 65% of Americans are on, on some kind of government assistance. These are the things that are not told in society. Like, like yeah. Americans are told we're, we live in the richest country on the planet. Like, all I got to do is come here and say, wait a minute, man. So, <laughs> wait a minute. We're, we can't be the richest country. I, Singapore. Singapore has te- uh, rent, rents that are 84% higher than America. Yeah. But Americans are basically programmed to believe that we're the land of the home. Mm. Uh, le- what is it? Land of the free and home of the brave? Yeah. 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 But the truth is there's not very many free people in mm. America. Because really, they don't have enough money to be free. Sure. free money, money is basically a freedom mm. tool. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a car tool. It's not, oh, okay, I can buy a Rolls Royce now or a big AP watch, you know, like you're showing off your big AP <laughs> right there. Okay, in white, by the way. Uh, and he made 50. Yeah, and he's, only, he's one of 50 guys in the world that owns that thing. During the financial crisis, which was 10 years ago, you know, we were um, heavily invested. We were um, over-invested. And we didn't see it coming. We didn't, mm. you know. Things had been going so well. I don't think anyone saw it coming, did well, they? No, quite a lot of people did. And I've, I have become an anorak. I've read every book on yeah. the financial crisis to try and educate myself. Mm. So it was my fault. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um, and we lost a great deal of money. Mm. But that really tested the mettle of me, of my team. And the learning we had through it as students in better stead to carry out our business now. Mm. Um, but, you know, those were difficult times. Mm. But, and now when we, when we back, because our, in our money-making side, I've got two sides, we, we make money and we give it away through our foundation. But in the money-making side, I'm looking for an entrepreneur and I'll say, tell me about your failure. And if they say, well, I haven't had any, I'll say, well, go and have some and then come back. <laughs> yeah, go and waste them out there. Because you're either a liar <laughs> yeah. or you're not willing to share. Yeah. Because I've never met an entrepreneur who hasn't had a failure. Mm. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But all of us have had failures, mm. you know, and we're mm. going to continue to have failures. Yeah. And it's how we deal with failure, not how we deal with success, that ultimately... Mm in my opinion, marks us out. If you fail, your plan B is going to be better than your plan A anyway. Because your, your plan B, by definition, has less risk than your plan A because you already know what not to do. Yeah. So your plan B is better than your plan A anyway. So don't be afraid of failure. Most people are afraid of failure. Mm. For the wrong reasons. They think that their friends or, or, or society will think less of them because they failed. And the opposite is true. If, if you fail and try again, society actually admires you more. Yeah. We love, in the UK, in America, in America probably more than anywhere in the world, we love a comeback story. Mm. We love a man or woman that failed and then picked themselves up and tried again. We yeah. love that. We love that. And if you, pick yourself, if you fail twice and pick yourself up, we, we doubly love that. Yeah. So just keep on trying. Mm. And you never... you. You never know what the alternative was going to be better or not. So just make a decision and move forward. 
So I'd like to ask you something about this because I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, or at least we can learn from you, generally, I find Brits are more scared of failure and seem to be more concerned about what people think about them with the culture and the etiquette and, you know, the do's and don'ts and the, the social airs and graces. I feel like Americans, there's more bravado, there's more brand, there's more hype and less fear of it all going wrong publicly. Uh, yeah, America, America rewards success that follows failure more than any country in the mm. world. And that's through the whole system. Our bankruptcy system supports it. Yeah. The court system supports lending. it. Lending yeah. supports it. Your neighbor and community supports it. America supports uh, someone trying again more than any other country. But you get to America is a country. It's a mixed bag of immigrants from, from hundreds of years of people just coming there. And it looks so like my grandfather came over at 16 and I still have in the TV room, his trunk, everything he owned was in that trunk, right? So and he, got on the, he got on a boat at 16 going to somewhere that he heard was gonna be great. And you know, I try to get my kids to go away for the weekend in something smaller than he took for his entire life. I mean, everything he owns was in mm -hmm. that trunk. So that's someone who's not afraid. You know, you get off the boat in Ellis Island after four weeks, you know, and the Irish, you know, they were in the bottom of the boat. They're on the bottom of the boat. Mm. You get off in, you know, to signs that say dogs and Irish need not apply. Mm. And that's what you're going to. That, that, you're going to grow up pretty tough pretty mm. quick in that environment. And that's going to breed um, people who aren't crybabies. Mm.